Hello, and once again, welcome to the Gratuitous Possing Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Greyhawk. And I'm your co-host, Jackson Eflin. Thank you for joining us for match nine of our sports bracket, the beginning of round two. This week, we will be discussing 2016's Eddie the Eagle, as well as 1993's Cool Runnings in our Calgary crossover. Both of these films are semi-historical accounts of two unlikely Olympic teams from the 1988 Calgary Olympics. It's a good place. Films are both underdogs that kind of slipped in under the radar. The films have a surprising number of similarities. Oh, yeah. They're both driven protagonists who have a washed-up older coach who comes back alive and rediscovers the love of the sport through their efforts. Both films are very heavily laden with sports movie tropes like that. Mm -hmm. But that's kind of half the fun of sports movies. Oh, yeah, sure. I'm about to say... I don't expect it to like turn into like a noir murder mystery halfway through, but wow, wouldn't that be fun? Murder on ice! Honestly, I'm surprised Blades of Glory did not end up going that route. Oh man, that would have actually been kind of fun. We wouldn't have gotten like rocket skate to the end, but... I don't know, maybe it's something that equalizers can tackle. <laughs> uh, but we have definitely digressed. Let's go ahead and get into Eddie the Eagle. Okay, so Eddie the Eagle, which I have in my notes as Cool Slidings. <laughs> is based off the life of Michael Edwards, a actual person who existed. He described the film as being about 5% true. It's got some of the bare bones, but a lot of things are made up. Like, Eddie wasn't quite as destitute as portrayed in the film. He was working side jobs, like mowing lawns and babysitting, that kind of thing, on his way. And he wasn't quite as much of an underdog. He was kind of more in that, like, Harlem Globetrottery place of, like, doing a lot of freewheeling stunts with the skis. And so he was kind of already good at working a crowd and being an entertainer and having fun with the sport even if it wasn't all that serious and it seemed like doing the ski jumps wound up being something of a lark because he wasn't doing as well as he wanted to be doing in the normal ski competitions he wasn't able to quite make the mark which was true as portrayed in the film but it wasn't quite as like your dreams they are dashed to ruins as we see Real life, Michael Edwards was pretty clumsy. He was nicknamed Mr. Magoo because he caught his skis in the doors coming out onto the Olympic space. The film cuts out a few things like him having a sister or him living in a mental health facility for cheap rates. It wasn't hospitalized. It was was like a pound for a night. And they also cut out his sister, which I get. I can see how that might have helped, but we don't really need more in that family. It's fine as is. Mm -hmm. And Bronson, as played by Hugh Jackman, is also fake. Uh, Eddie had a, a few different coaches, most notably John Viscom and Chuck Burgum, who were helped him get his feet under him, loaned him supplies and that kind of thing. And while there is a certain sense at the end of the film that Eddie's going like, to come back in style and in four years he's going to make it big, he, he never did. He never made it back to the Olympics. But he did a lot of a lot of other like entertaining jump type things. He was kind of a, a bit of a British folk hero, I guess is a better way to put it. And to be fair, part of the reason that Eddie did not go back to the Olympics is because the International Olympic Committee specifically tightened down rules for competitors to prevent him and some of the other novelty acts to prevent them from returning. Mm-hmm. And we can get into the pros and cons of that in a bit, because I have some thoughts there that relate to the movie. And Maddie Nykinen is also a real person. He actually did get all those gold medals. And the other weird thing is that uh, he and real-life Eddie are both chart-topping Finnish pop stars. Yep. However, as far as I can tell, um, Michael Edwards didn't, like, stab a bunch of people. Uh, and isn't, didn't go to not enough jail for domestic abuse. So that's not great. Uh, I retract any positive things I said about uh, Maddie Nikonen in the film. 
I will say this, though. Eddie Edwards is a Finnish pop star, but does not speak Finnish. Just learned the words phonetically. Yep. Uh, and you can tell. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so the film is, it takes a lot of liberties to create a better story, I guess. But honestly, I think I kind of wish they hadn't. I think it might have been more fun if they'd gone for less pathos and more, like, slapstick. Like, if they'd gone full bumbling doofus and didn't try to make it, like, a whole thing. I don't know. I mean, we did get a lot of slapstick and comedy in this film. I mean, last time we talked about how the film gives a new meaning to the term O-Face. That's true. But this time through, knowing where it was going, I found myself not really caring about Eddie that much. And I think I might have enjoyed it more if I really wasn't expected to care that much and was just along for the ride, as opposed to the film wanting me to be like invested in this character. On my second watch through, I still had that appreciation for Eddie. Although, I definitely think that we don't need nearly as much of the training camp before Perry decides to start helping Eddie as we get. I think that portion goes on too long and it kind of is just... It feels like it's just punching down. Mm -hmm. The best parts of this film are when Eddie and Perry are just bouncing off each other because Hugh Jackman and Taron Egerton, what an unexpectedly great comedy duo. And we've talked about this before, but Hugh Jackman is just playing wolverine again right but he's clearly having so much fun with it I'm, yeah i think i'm more invested in him as a character than i am in eddie just from a writing perspective but like the characters of the writing of the characters is less satisfying overall but mm-hmm. it's not on the fault of the actors they're both doing a great job yeah although they still underutilize the taron egerton because he's never shirtless in the film wait hang on yes he is never mind i take that back forget it um, yeah there's the sauna scene where he's in swim trunks yeah and the norwegian team is not. <laughs> Every time you turn on TV, you're there. Yeah. Maybe perhaps you can tell us what's the secret. Clothes. I think part of it is that we spend most of the film not really knowing why Eddie wants to be an Olympian that badly. And even when we find out, it's because he like read in a book and wanted to do it. There's not like a underlying, I can use this to support my family or to like get my people up out of poverty kind of thing. Or even a, and then doing it out of spite or I think it'll be a lark. Oh, I've learned now that this isn't just a lark for people. Apart from being an Olympian for being an Olympian's sake, I don't fully understand his reasoning. And maybe that's because I don't really have that deep investment in the Olympics that a lot of people do. So I did not feel that way. Like it made perfect sense that Eddie was trying to find the thing that he was really good at, that he could excel at on a international stage. Uh, especially doing that as a young child. And it makes sense that he would go through all these lengths. And Eddie is still incredibly young going into the 88 Olympics. He's 25. That's younger than I am. Yeah. Well, I feel old now. (laughs) I haven't broken any British records in the Olympics. And then 27. (laughs) You're also not British. (laughs) (laughs) Never stopped me before. It's not that his... You were just hoping for more depth of motivation than I want to be the best like no one ever was. I... Yeah, basically... (laughs) I wasn't sure how to phrase it, so thank you for using a Pokemon reference to carry me through this. <laughs> One thing I do really enjoy that is definitely held up after a second viewing is the family dynamics between Eddie and his parents. Mm. I really love Eddie's mom and how encouraging she is, and just she always believes in her son and is going to do whatever she can to help him achieve his dreams. Thought you might need this. Don't think I'm going to be winning any medals, Mum. Well, you never know, Pat. But if not, you'll like the sandwiches. And even the relationship between Eddie and his dad is very compelling. Like, they starts off as a kid, he's, I'll play along for now, but he's never going to get to the Olympics. Well, I'll tell you what, why don't you jump in the van, and then me and you can hold our breath all the way home, yeah? That's about a minute away. 
and then it moves into outright antagonism as Eddie's gearing up to do ski jumping. Try to tell me you never had a dream when you were a kid, Dad. Of course I did. I'm not made of stone, son. You never said. What was it? It was to be a plasterer. And then the film finally ends with his dad saying that he's incredibly proud of him. So proud of you, son. I mean that. I'm so proud of you, mate. Thanks, Dad. Like, it's, it's a very heartwarming arc. Although... There was this one moment where I... So I had an issue with like my suspension of disbelief for a little bit there. Before the title card is we're seeing Eddie grow up and try out all these different Olympic sports. And there's this moment where he throws a javelin through the window. Eddie's dad gets very upset. It's like, no more. You're, you're stopping this. And Eddie's like, what about my Olympic preparations? Very neat as a pin, proper British speak. And... Eddie's father quotes back, Eddie, you are not an athlete. Specifically with a P instead of a T. And it's just, I don't get how these two are related with that huge gulf of diction. See, I actually kind of get that. I think that in that case, Eddie is playing at British upper crestness like he would have seen from Olympic athletes, who we kind of see as being this like old boys club in the film. I can see that being a thing. Mm -hmm. You're right. But I get that from the character. I'm of two minds about the dynamic with the parents. Mm -hmm. There's a part of me that kind of feels like the parents always have enough money to support Eddie. And there's never actually a problem. There's never actually like, it doesn't seem like there's sacrifices made. And he doesn't seem to like, he feels bad about it occasionally, but not to the point of changing as a person because of realizing he's mooching off his parents' potential success. But on the flip side, I really do like their being supportive. I like how the arcs play out. And I'm literally wearing a shirt that says I'm Eddie's mom. So while I think that on a cold, hard writer's eye kind of level, it doesn't quite work on an emotional level, it makes me happy. Jackson, I know the type of people that we both are, but not every film has to engage with leftist politics and criticisms of capitalism. It's okay. There could be other things. Okay, you're right. <laughs> However, I'm going to actually compare the films. I was just talking about them both at the same time. So in Cool Runnings, most of the seed money for doing the runnings that are cool comes from Junior selling his car and lying to his dad. So it's actually a part of the team making a big sacrifice and a decision instead of someone else handing them that win. And I think that's more compelling because it feels like the team is getting more of themselves as opposed to someone else. Although I guess it's also Junior's dad probably bought him that car, so it doesn't quite apply as much, but it's still like... His material possession. Also, it's completely historically inaccurate, but we'll get into that later. Oh, okay, sure, sure. <laughs> films. Yeah. We can't critique history. Yes, we can. <laughs> Let's move into another character that I'm two minds about. Sure. I'm not sure how I feel about Petra. Yeah, the, the mountain cougar? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So she kind of fades into the background towards the second two thirds of the film, but... She is the bartender innkeeper at the training facility. She's a fun character, but she's completely unnecessary to the plot. And they don't really do anything terribly interesting with her, except make Eddie uncomfortable when she's hitting on him. Huh? Would you like me to visit you? I probably won't be in here that much, to be honest, with all the training that I mentioned. and um, uh... Yeah, and that seemed a little bit... But I also get that she and Bronson form functionally surrogate mother and father figures for him. Yeah. 
So I kind of get the duality that's going on there. And I also get that just having a character who kind of just exists to be the stable bar person, I get yeah. where that comes from. And like the inclusion of another woman in the cast isn't a terrible reason just to, to have her there. They included her. I wish they did more with her. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily have too many problems with her hitting on Eddie. She never seems terribly coercive about it. And like Eddie's 25. He's an adult. He can make those decisions for himself. In, in her opening scene, she offers once or twice, and Eddie's like, oh, well, I'm too British for this. And she's like, okay, cool. She doesn't seem particularly perturbed, nor does she, like, push the point after he's made it clear that he's not into it. That's totally fair. That is a totally reasonable way to go about seducing your tenants. It's not like she, she has a dearth of other men to hit on. Yes. <laughs> wow, she does. But I agree they could have done more with her as a character, especially if they shortened some of the training camp sequences and you know gave the time to her. I don't know, having that plot from... The Star Wars Christmas special or whatever. I will say this. I don't recall touching on it last time, but unfortunately, like for a movie about ski jumping, a lot of the ski jumps are not terribly well filmed. The compositing of the shots for those ski jumps are very bad. The poor CG on the ragdolling during the crashes is also very noticeable. And especially the CG when Bronson's doing his whole like jumping while smoking in slow motion thing. Yeah. I'm okay with that being CGI because it's kind of meant to be ludicrous and over the top, but yeah. yeah. It's just, it's a sports movie and you're not doing a great job of highlighting the sport. Mm-hmm. I will say it looks better than actual filmings of like Eddie doing ski jumps at the time, which didn't have the option to like have like the slow-mo and they're right in his face and all that jazz, but eh. Yeah, like it's archival footage from 1988, so I, I don't expect it to be good. Sure. I will say that during Eddie's last jump, the camera is right up in his face as he's coming towards us, and it's a little bit too close. Like it, it becomes a very comical shot, and that could have been fine earlier in the film, but here when we're supposed to be taking Eddie seriously as this like really big moment of going further than he's ever gone before, I kind of wish we hadn't had such a like wacky tearing Egerton is doing the face thing. Yeah, and then it cuts to everyone else doing the face. <laughs> I kind of love some of the faces though. Like they're just, they're so over the top, and like that kind of works for me. Yeah, like like I said, it gives a whole new meaning to the term O face. God, I had a roller coaster of emotions about about Maddie as a character. Mm-hmm. Like the first time when he was in the elevator, and I thought he was just like some sort of odd elf child. I was like overwhelmed with the elfness to think about what he was saying, but he's like. Winning, losing, all that stuff is for the little people. If we do less than our best with the whole world watching, it will kill us inside. We're all time. Which is incredibly ominous. <laughs> but also feels like a very fairy thing to say. Oh, for sure. I wonder how the job is just appearing before someone does something important to say that you and I both know that if you fail, it will kill you inside for all time. And then walking away. And then doing better than them. I will also say, specifically because we just came off of it last week, it is surprising how much better this film works as a British Olympics film than Chariots of Fire does. Yeah, and with some of the same kind of music scores, too. It also deals with having issues with the establishment and fighting back against it and whatnot. Like, it doesn't get into necessarily the anti-Semitism that Chariots of Fire gets into, but Chariots of Fire didn't handle that very well anyway. Yeah, I will say that... Eddie the Eagle's politics around why Eddie's being prevented from Olympicsing it could have been tighter. I get what they're going for, but I th- there's both a classic and also a clumsiness thing, and I think you could have played up one or the other or done something more to have clumsiness as the excuse, but 
class is the real reason. And I don't think it quite hits that mark as well. As it might yeah, have. they were going for simple and cartoonish and they achieved that. And it kind of makes it so that part of the narrative kind of gets out of the way for fun Eddie antics. And I'm okay with that. Yeah, it's not the worst. Just, like a lot of my complaints are granular screenwriting level things but i had a good time watching this it brought me joy like oh, yeah. i was i'm having not a very good day and then i watched this i'm like you know what this is a good day this is a good day to fly mm-hmm. well i think it's about time we switched gears over to cool runnings mm-hmm. so none of the major characters are actual people they're all fictionalized enough of the actual structure of what happens is on point that i'm not gonna ding it too much so The Jamaicans were initially scouted for a bobsled team, but it didn't happen quite as early as the film would have you believe with Irving. It was George Fitch, who was a businessman traveling in the area, and he noted the Jamaicans' athleticism and made some comment like, well, why don't you have anyone competing at the Winter Olympics? If you have good athletes, they should be able to compete in any sport. And after watching a pushcart race, realized a lot of the skills would transfer over to bobsled. So he is the one who was trying to get the team together and funded most of it. He got Howard Siller, who was the coach of the team, who was an American bobsledder, but never medaled at the Olympics. And they weren't able to get any prospective Olympic-level sprinters onto the team. No one was interested because they knew how dangerous bobsledding was and they didn't want to get any injuries that would prevent them from competing in later years. And a lot of the sports clubs, it was the same way. So they pretty much had to hold open tryouts. In fact, they even had to try and recruit people from the Jamaican military, which is how Devon Harris actually ended up on the team. He was a Jamaican military officer, saw a call out for a bobsled team in a weekly military publication, and was encouraged to try out by his colonel. Hmm. What did he do to his colonel that made him say, hmm, I want you to go down a hill at maximum speed and possibly shatter your bones? Well, he specifically was uh, interested in becoming an Olympian and wanted to compete in sprinting. Oh, sure. So I think the DeRice character of the film is loosely based off of him and a combination of Chris Stokes, who was an accomplished college sprinter who also appeared on the team. Another big thing that the film leaves out is... The team actually went and trained in Austria. They didn't do all of their training in Jamaica. Mm. Also, they were initially only going for the two-man competition. The four-man competition was completely last minute. They had to scramble to find a four-person bobsled. The U.S. team actually just lent them there so they could compete. And they had to find fourth man because one of their alternates had kind of just gone on walkabout. (laughs) As you do. So Dudley Stokes was in the two-man. His brother, Chris Stokes, who was the college sprinter that I talked about, they taught him what they could in three days, and that's who the fourth man was for the four-man bobsled team. Good job. The crash did happen. It happened on their fourth run as opposed to their third. And instead of taking place one run uh, a day over three days, it was two runs a day over two days. Sure. But also get it, rule of three is kind of a standard film thing. Yeah. Also, the film makes it seem as if the Jamaicans before the crash have a opportunity to medal. That was definitely not the case. In order to get up to third place, they would have had needed to come in under 48 seconds on that last run. Oh, wow, yeah. Yeah. For those who haven't seen the film super recently, what was their fastest time? I think like 54 seconds. Yeah. 
their third run was over a minute long. It was like a minute three, which is slower than qualifying times. Wow. But the Jamaicans were undeterred by the crash and not performing very well. And they've continued to compete in bobsled for a number of years. They don't qualify every Winter Olympics, but they have competed numerous times. In fact, everyone on the 88 team went back to the Olympics at least once for a bobsled competition. Hmm. And most recently in 2018, they had a women's two-man bobsleigh team. Hmm, Cool. But I think my biggest complaint about the historical accuracy is the fact that they don't give any credit to the actual members of the team. All of these are fictionalized people. And I'm not sure if that was a decision to just, well, we want to do what we want with the movie and don't want to have to worry about lawsuits or misrepresenting things or anything like that. And because they're also competing as a team as opposed to a singular individual people don't know the individuals on the jamaican team they just know oh the jamaican bobsled team Mm -hmm. and i get that but i think it also does a disservice to these athletes who trailblazed a jamaican bobsled team that has continued to exist for the next 30 years yeah i get that and there may not be a good way to find out exactly why those choices were made. And, and like many things in Hollywood, especially big Hollywood, there might be the official reason, the actual reason. Yeah. So, yeah. And while I think it does work as a film, my opinion is a bit less knowing more of the history of it and the some of the corner cutting to make a better narrative. Yeah. But I mean, also, like I get it. Just when it's on pipe. I, I get that you're going to fictionalize things for Hollywood. It just looking more into it and realizing how fictionalized things were, it's... It leaves a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah, for sure. But let's get into the actual content of the film. Mm. I really do like the character intros for the ensemble, and I think this film juggles its ensemble cast incredibly well. Oh yeah, I love all these characters. Mm-hmm. I will say, during the second watch through, and like after doing a little bit of the research, I was a little annoyed at how they portrayed Sanka, and it didn't feel like he was taking this very seriously and that felt kind of shitty to the actual real world athletes who were doing this and trying their best and working incredibly hard to do so his bobsled jamaican speech towards the end of the film kind of smoothed some of that over for me if we look jamaican walk jamaican talk jamaican and is jamaican then we show as hell better bobsled jamaican it's less that Sanka isn't taking this seriously and trying hard. It's more that it's just Sanka being Sanka and he really does care. Yeah, he cares, but his way of expressing his care is not the norm. Mm-hmm. So I, I get that. Yeah. And that speech at the end is really good. And you know, he is definitely passionate about certain things. Like he's very passionate about his uh, position as the best push car driver in all of Jamaica. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, I really love when Irv is talking about the driver responsibility to Sanka. It's like, do you really want to do this? And talking about how... When his teammates are all out drinking beer, he's up in his room studying pictures of turns. You see, a driver must remain focused 100% at all times. Mm -hmm. Which is exactly what happens later on in the film. It's a very subtle foreshadowing. Yeah, and when we see Doris doing that studying, you can see, okay, he has fully like reached the apogee of his team captain-ness. Although... That runs a little counter to a thing that I actually really, really like about the film, that they are a team and no one is presented as the weakest link or the best part of the team or whatever. I mean, sure, Doris is, is setting all the moves, so he has to know those, but it's very clearly a combined collective effort and there's never a point at which someone is 
Colorado's been like, oh, we would have won if it wasn't for you. Or they like all point and say, oh no, it's Darius who got us all the way or anything like that. I like that it's a very communal balanced thing. Yeah. The way a bobsled needs to be to function. Yeah. And while Darius is definitely putting in more effort than the others, that is also part of the problem. He's getting too inside of his own head and getting too cold and too far removed from the original reason they came here was to represent their country of Jamaica. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing. Because you have these no eye in the team, other players will just work to them as... Hey, Jamaica! Instead of, hey, Darice or hey, Sanka or whomever. Mm. And so I like that Phil makes it very literal that they are representing all of Jamaica, that they are kind of literally being Jamaica in this mm-hmm. film. Which is a cool concept. Yeah. It is a little unfortunate that all of that animosity is constructed for the film and they were relatively welcome there like i said the u.s team just lent them their backup sled so they they could compete in the four-man competition mm-hmm. that's the thing that is weird to me in both films we're meant to believe that going to the olympics is a good end in and of itself which is valid but also when we get there the managements are a bunch of assholes and all the other competitors are a bunch of assholes and it makes the olympics not seem like a good happy place to be yeah, and like there's definitely this disconnect with what the film wants you to believe and what the film is portraying. Mm-hmm. You could have had just like one or two people be antagonists. Like maybe, like maybe only the Swiss are antagonists or only the Germans or whatever. I think part of that just comes from sports movie tropes. Like we have to have an enemy team. We have to have someone who is antagonizing our protagonists to make this competition important. In the film, we have characters who will let them know about Irv Blitzer's misdeeds in the past and like his shady dealings. You could have had that be someone who genuinely has their best interests at heart and who kind of takes Therese under their wing, not in a like, I'm going to trick you and to make you be worse kind of way, but in a like, hey, I really want to help you. And then whatever that advice is, isn't what Therese needs. Like it might be good advice for that person, but not for this person. And that leads right into that arc where Therese is getting cold. Yeah. You could have made that work really well and had a more complex Olympic makeup. I'm kind of of two minds about Irving's arc. On one hand, I really do like how the cheating scandal plays into Darice's arc and how Darice needs to learn to work as a team and not care so much about winning. Otherwise, he's going to turn into Irving. Mm -hmm. But I also feel that too much screen time is given to Irving's story. And when we're dealing with a narrative about four black men removing screen time for them to talk about plight of this washed up white guy definitely doesn't feel great especially (laughs) with how much the film is pointing to the establishment being very uncomfortable with black bobsledders oh forgive me i didn't realize the four black guys in a bobsled could make you blush and while you know john candy's a great actor doing a great job here because that character is fictional you could have had him be any race he could have just been a black guy or he could have been, I don't know, Chinese or Ainu or something. So that's kind of unfortunate. And like I said last time, the disqualification plot doesn't need to be there. To be fair, it is historically accurate. They were at one point disqualified, although it wasn't like their coach or Fitch who was the one who got them reinstated. It was Prince Albert of Monaco. Hmm. He had been competing in the Winter Olympics for years at that point, and he was just like, no, they, they should get to compete. They're here to represent their country. It's important. Huh. Yeah. And heck, that's another opportunity to have a not entirely antagonistic Olympic makeup. You could have another character from another team be like, no, I've 
seems I'm trying. I, you know, I underestimated them at first, but oh, I see what they're doing. That's how the sound in Germany. <laughs> Another thing I noticed this watch through, there's a lot of Coke product placement. <laughs> yeah. Like more than season three of Stranger Things, which is impressive. Oh, yeah. I feel we're being, being kind of harsh with this movie. I don't want to take away from the things it does really well. Like the comedy is great. The characters have wonderful arts. I think all the actors are doing a great job. Oh, yeah. And I, I really sympathize with all their reasons for being here. You know, I talked about how I didn't really fully get what was driving Eddie. I get all the reasons all these characters have, and they all have different reasons. Yes. And that you know, all come together. I think that works really well to create this cohesive team. Mm-hmm. I will also say this. I'm really impressed with the main cast. Of the four bobsledders on the team, only one of the actors is actually Jamaican. Mm. The other three are from New York. And for the most part, I wasn't able to tell the difference between the fake accents and the real one. That's not to say that there is not a difference. It's just that uh, my ear is not well-trained enough to pick it up. It's not like in, say, Ed of the Eagle, where Hugh Jackman's Australian accent is trying to break out of his skin. And I don't know how I feel about the casting New York actors as opposed to uh, Jamaican actors, but I, I also have no idea like what the Jamaican acting market was like at, at the time and how all that would work out. So I don't, I can't speak to it. Yeah. But I do appreciate that all the characters have a lot of variety, both of body composition and also just like hairstyle, personal style, etc. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do appreciate that they are very different. I also, watching through this time, realized how easily they map onto all the Ninja Turtles. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's kind of always the case whenever you have four individuals they map on. It's just, it's very easy to tell who's who here. Mm-hmm. I guess that makes John Candy the Splinter. Yes. Mm-hmm. Splinter slash Casey. Yeah, yeah, sure. I guess that makes the entirety of the Swiss team of the, uh, the Shredder. Or kind of the Swiss Army Knife. <laughs> We didn't plan that joke. I just have dad jokes because I'm Eddie's mom. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I guess. I think we talked about it a little bit last time, but I want to circle back to Yul Brenner and how much I like his character. He's this mm-hmm. guy who wants to get out of Jamaica because he thinks not a place is worth anything, but all of his understandings of the world outside of Jamaica are shown to be a fantasy that doesn't have a lot of weight to them. And there's humor poked at him. And his reaction to that shows this inner vulnerability that doesn't, take away from his macho-ness, and I really like the subtlety with Malik Yoba's acting there. He's really talented. I want to go see what else he's been in. Mm-hmm. I definitely agree. That also kind of touches on some of the historically accurate things. There were a few of the smirters who did grow up in the less nice parts around Kingston, and at least bringing that up and talking about that, even as minorly as it is with Yule, I think is good. Mm-hmm. I mean, to be fair, this is definitely a we are proud to be Jamaican type movie and it's hard to do a we are proud to be Jamaican movie but also here are the problems with real world Jamaica and its economics in an also ensemble cast movie it's also a sports movie that is produced by Disney for an American audience Mm -hmm. that's a lot of layers (laughs) of nuance all at once yeah season two of Luke Cage couldn't even get into all that and they had like 14 episodes one more minor problem that I have with the film when Doris and Sanka initially go and try to convince uh, Irv to coach them. I feel that scene goes on just a little too long. Mm, sure. Within the first couple minutes, we realize what sort of character Irv is, and then we get some funny antics of them pestering him, and then eventually it comes down to, like, I'm going to be coming back here every single day until you say yes. Mm-hmm. It's the uh, end of Doctor Strange. I think we just could have gotten there a little faster. Yeah. 
it doesn't necessarily bother me too much. It's like, again, it's a comedy movie, but you're right. We could have maybe tightened that up or have that time be spent on something else. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of places where those little comedy bits, I'm like, eh, we could have trimmed this down a little bit and maybe had a character building scene elsewhere. I do enjoy a lot of the training montages and the humor that comes from them. I wouldn't cut a whole lot of that. I think those are parts of the movie where it shines and some of the best parts of the movie like while they're running across the bridge and Irv is like getting ready to throw snowballs at them as they come across and they all have already prepared them but just smack him in the face as they run by mm-hmm. i think i'm more forgiving of this movie than i would otherwise be if, if the comedy wasn't so good yes yeah and there's so many small things like sanka's face when we first meet yule and yule's doing this kind of like tiger breathing exercise thing with his hands mm-hmm. i'm not sure how to i'm sure there's a better way to put it i don't know what it is mm-hmm. he's doing the Raphael thing and sanka just has this amazing like look of horror and, <laughs> and fear <laughs> there are other comedy bits but that's the one that springs to mind I think that covers a lot of what I want to talk about here. So, extra innings? Yeah, sounds great. So, we have best montage and best training gimmick. Training gimmick we've already established in Eddie the Eagle is... Thinking about fucking. Yeah, like the metaphor of orgasming for takeoff. Mm -hmm. And then I believe in Cool Runnings we established that it was the cold weather training of just tossing them in the ice cream truck. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, either getting hot or getting cold, basically. <laughs> Pretty much. I honestly think I'm going to give it to Eddie the Eagle here, mostly because I think the gimmick is used better and it actually continues to come up, whereas the gimmick in Cool Runnings is kind of just a one-off joke, really. Pretty much, yeah. And while the joke in Cool Runnings is humorous slapstick, I think if it was a thing in real life, that would be kind of horrifying. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And tra- best training montage. I think best training montage I'm going to give two cool runnings. Mm, for sure. Eddie has some good training montages, but I never feel as pumped up by them as I am for the ones for cool runnings. Partially because Eddie doesn't get the aspect of team building from the training montages that the team in cool runnings does. And that's a major part of their arc is coming together as a team. Mm-hmm. And I think because we have several training montages at different points of their success we can see them growing as a group and growing together and that's really cool yeah we get a little bit of that with eddie but not nearly as much and i guess because in round two we're kind of talking about the historicity what does a better job with its adaption from history not necessarily what is more accurate but what is presenting a better narrative with what it had in front of it i think if we're strictly going by narrative then I would probably give it to Cool Runnings. Okay. I would definitely not give it to Cool Runnings if we're talking about historical accuracy. Eddie the Eagle does a much better job on that front. Right, I mean, it has actual people in it. Yeah. So, down to our final vote. I'm really conflicted. I mean, Cool Runnings did, I guess, slightly better in the extra innings, but... Yeah. When in doubt, I'm going to come down to what would I rather watch again, and while I enjoy Eddie the Eagle, I think I have more fun watching Cool Runnings. I'm going to agree with you. It's really, really close for me. I think Cool Runnings is a stronger film overall. It's really unfortunate that from a historical accuracy perspective and from a kind of ignoring the achievements of a number of black men and kind of just doing whatever they wanted with the idea of Jamaican bobsled team really leaves a bad taste in my mouth, especially coming from a huge corporation like disney yeah 
It's really close, but I think I am also going to give it to Runnings just by the tiniest hair. Mm-hmm. I honestly did not expect that going in. After the research, I was ready to move Eddie the Eel forward. Yeah, and I think if you put me in like a, a different day or a different mood watching out of them, I might have been more into Cool Slidings. But there's something about Cool Runnings that it just gets me a little closer. I think it's the kind of collectivism of the team thing. That's mm-hmm. like the ace up its sleeve. Yeah. All right, our first match of round two is done and it was a tough one yeah where this week we had two films that were very very similar next week we have films that i don't think we could get further apart in this bracket we have remember the titans going up against space jam wow okay <laughs> one is a complicated exploration <laughs> of blackness in modern day america the other one is remember the titans and has denzel washington, has denzel washington. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that's gonna be weird Surprisingly, we also get to talk about the historical accuracy of both of those films. Yeah, that'll be fun. So if you want to turn into that bonkers episode, make sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Podbean, and Spotify. But until then, this has been the Gratuitous Pausing Podcast. Thanks for tuning in.